This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 202, Walking. I am Hal Hammonds, and I am a Citizen of Heaven, and your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for checking in this week. Walking is how we get from here to there, from a baby's first steps to a bride's walk down the aisle to the day our six best friends carry us away. Walking symbolizes the way we progress through this life and on into the next. This week we will discuss the two paths we have to choose from, how Nick Walenda conquers fear in a life with no safety net, my own mediocre efforts at exercise and whether I should be concerned, and the Irish pedestrian who threatens to ruin one of our favorite board games. We'll start with what I've been preaching. Imagine you're walking down a road. Let's call it the road of life. You come to a fork in the road. The branch to the left is labeled Faith Road. The branch to the right is labeled Sin Road. Assume for the moment you can't turn around or build the retirement cottage of your dreams right there on the spot. You only have two choices, left or right, faith or sin. Let's talk about Faith Road first. Walking by faith is a challenge, no doubt about it. It is the opposite of walking by sight, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 7. That means the road will be full of twists and turns. It'll take deliberate effort to stay on the road. There'll be times when you cannot see the road at all. You'll have to trust the Word of God with little or no obvious reason to do so. It's an unusual choice, but you can take comfort in knowing many great men and women throughout the ages have taken it and been greatly blessed. Sin Road is a less cerebral choice, you might say. Solomon compares it to going after the strange or foreign woman in the first few chapters of Proverbs. She has immediate and obvious appeal. Pleasure is found there. Sin Road is wide and easy, according to Matthew 7.13. You find most of your neighbors on Sin Road, and they will congratulate you on the good choice you've made. Best of all, you don't have to trust anybody. Your eyes are fully open on the whole trip. And on Sin Road, without being too crass about it, there is plenty to look at. Both roads stretch out for miles and miles before disappearing over the horizon. We cannot see what lies beyond that. We're told that Faith Road leads to heaven. We certainly like the sound of that. But we can convince ourselves that the comforts and pleasures along Sin Road are as good or better than anything heaven might offer. Some people are even telling us we can travel Sin Road and get to heaven anyway. When you look at it that way, it's no wonder why Sin Road is as popular as it is. It is the de facto choice, in fact, the one we all start off on at first. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But he goes on to say in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. God chose us when we chose faith. We picked a better way, a better walk. We chose to walk by the Spirit, as Paul puts it in Galatians 5.16. And in so doing, we chose not to carry out the desire of the flesh. But it's important to emphasize here, the idea of walking implies a series of choices, a series of steps, not just one. People on sin road will occasionally look like the people on faith road. But a single step does not define a course of life. The faithful may find it comforting to assume that some good activity means souls in rebellion against God's will are not lost after all. 
but you're either on faith road or you're not. When we say good people who have not submitted to the Lord Jesus are probably okay, we're implying that their good works will save them. That's exactly the opposite of what Paul taught in Ephesians 2. By the same token, people on faith road will occasionally look like the people on sin road. David is the classic example of that, but really any child of God will do. All sin and fall short, says Romans 3.23, and that includes you and me. But again, a step is not a walk. That's the importance of 1 John 1.7. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. All who choose Faith Road will step off into the gutter from time to time. That does not change the choice we've made to walk with Jesus. Now, a persistent pattern of missteps may indicate we've chosen sin road and self-delusion. We're not on Faith Road at all. But if we persist in Faith Road for real, Jesus' blood will wash away the sins we commit in Christ just as effectively as it washed away the sins we committed before we knew Christ. Yes, according to 1 John 5.17, all unrighteousness is sin, But there is a sin not leading to death, and thanks be to God for that. So choose to walk in faith road, and if you've already done so, persist in doing well in that road. The longer and more effectively you walk, the closer heaven grows on the horizon. And as the old hymn goes, the toils of the road will seem nothing when I get to the end of the way. This is what I've been reading. It was June 13th, 2013. My family and I had just arrived home after evening worship services. And thanks to the miracle of DVR, I was able to back the television feed up enough to see Nick Willinda's entire walk across the Grand Canyon. I remember telling my daughters, there is no telling what human beings are capable of. It was an incredibly moving experience for me. The most memorable part of his walk, I thought, was his repeated references to his faith. I thought about that while I was reading his book, Facing Fear. It's basically his telling of two other chapters in his remarkable career. First, the near-fatal fall of his sister, and how he was able to overcome his fear and get back on the wire. And second, his walk across the crater of an active volcano. Facing Fear was almost certainly the best dollar I spent in 2022. Gotta love clearance racks. The idea of walking a tightrope under any circumstances is terrifying enough for 99% or more of us. Doing it without a net or harness would eliminate the rest of us. Then add on the assurance of certain and spectacular death in the event of a fall, multiple family members who have died while walking the wire, and even a beloved sister in the process of recovering from a fall. There might not be 10 people in the world who would do that, and most of them are in the Willenda family. Nick Willenda details several reasons that push him to get back up on the wire time after time, year after year. Part of it is simply practical. It's his job. It's how he pays the bills. Standard run-of-the-mill tightrope walkers at the circus get paid pennies. That's assuming they can find a circus that will hire them. The only way Willenda can make his line of work pay is by pushing the envelope. There's also the matter of the family name. Willendas have been walking the wire for seven generations. This is their heritage, their contribution to entertainment history. But beyond that, he believes this is what he was born to do. By walking the wire, he becomes the best version of who he is, and in that way brings glory to God. Nick Willenda's practice of faith and mine are somewhat different. No need to get into all that here. 
but I completely agree with him on the basic premises of his book. God calls us to achieve in his name, and fear is the greatest enemy standing between us and the glory he has planned for us. Fear keeps us from walking. Fear keeps us locked in place, stranded here on the ground. Melinda is quick to point out that there's ample reason to fear. But with preparation, complete confidence, and a strong work ethic, we can overcome that fear. I was greatly encouraged to find out that Nick Melinda is not a thrill seeker in the usual sense of the word. He's not a show-off or glory hog. In fact, he comes across very much the opposite. Yes, he seeks greater and greater success but not for its own sake, not for personal glory. The fact that he is the greatest wirewalker in the world, and most of you have never heard his name, is testimony to that. He walks because God has empowered him to walk. And that inspires me to step out onto the wire myself. Not in a literal sense, by any means. I'm not insane. But I can step out into a wicked world, armed with nothing more than my training and my faith, confident that God will see me through, lifting me up on wings like eagles, to borrow from Isaiah 40, verse 31. I take even more encouragement from Genesis 5, verses 21 through 24, the all-too-short record of the life of Enoch. Enoch walked with God for 300 years after the birth of his son Methuselah. And I think we can safely add the bulk of the 65 years prior to that as well. He kept walking in an increasingly sinful world until one day his walk was over. Enoch walked with God, and he was not. For God took him, according to verse 24. The word died does not occur in his story as it does with all the other patriarchs in Genesis 5. He seems to have been taken from earth much as Elijah was in 2 Kings 2, without knowing death at all. That's the way the writer tells his story in Hebrews 11.5 also. That would be a spectacular way for me to end my walk with Jesus. But if it ends in the conventional way, and God has to carry me the rest of the way home, I'll have no complaints about that at all. This is what I've been hearing. They say walking is good for you, and I have no reason to doubt them, especially since them includes virtually everyone who has an informed judgment on the matter. So I'm trying to be more physically active this year than I have been in the past. I'll admit that's a pretty low bar. My exercise habits have been erratic at best, non-existent at worst. This very morning, I woke up with every intention of walking for half an hour before breakfast. And then I didn't. I am blessed, or cursed, with a variety of excuses on most days, and today was no different. Whether they were good ones is largely irrelevant. I didn't walk. In the end, that's the only thing that matters. Frankly, I'm not quite sure how much I should be beating myself up over this. In a weird way, it depends on the way you read 1 Timothy 4.8. In my usual Bible of choice, the New American Standard Bible, it reads, For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. That has the effect of making physical exercise more or less an optional sort of thing, take it or leave it. The New International Version, though, reads, For physical training is of some value. Maybe not an enormous amount, but some. And surely some is better than none at all. We can all agree, though, about Paul's main point. Whatever we do with regard to our physical bodies pales in comparison to the care we should be taking over our souls. Spiritual exercise yields plenty of dividends in this life. Paul doesn't detail such matters in this text, but he does in others. Joy, peace, comfort, hope, 
and many other things as well. You might get some degree of satisfaction in these areas through mere physical activity, but only spiritual exercise can bring results in the next life. And since this whole point is to contrast earthly activity with spiritual activity, and since activity that is earthbound has no bearing on eternity, I did not sin this morning when I skipped my walk. I feel better now. Now where's that donut? Seriously, though, I agree with many of my healthy brethren that stewardship of God's gifts must necessarily include stewardship of the most basic gift of all, our own bodies. I don't know exactly where God will draw the line. I know of Christians who protest against tattooing and ear piercing. I also know of Christians who are more than 100 pounds overweight and who seem to live mostly on Coke and Snickers bars. I strongly suspect the line is somewhere in between. But there's a bigger issue here. And that is the issue that Paul actually brings up in 1 Timothy 4.8. That is the matter of discipline. You have the obligation to take control of your body, yes, but that's only part of it. You have the obligation to take control of your entire life. If you cannot exercise enough control over your body to get up on time in the morning, you're likely going to have trouble exercising control in spiritual matters as well. After all, many of the danger signs your body displays are relatively easy to detect. Weight gain, fatigue, persistent illness, and the like. The easier and scarier the signs, the more motivated you are to take appropriate measures, including walking, maybe. The signs of spiritual sickness are tougher to identify. Disinterest, selfishness, jealousy, anger, and such things. And the less healthy your spirit is, the less able you are to diagnose yourself, and the less likely you'll be willing to listen to someone who tries to help you. I'm a firm believer that we need to do difficult, uncomfortable things on a regular basis, if for no other reason than to tell ourselves we're capable of doing difficult, uncomfortable things. My friend Chris Emerson calls it eating a frog. Do that first thing in the morning and the rest of your day looks like a picnic. But it takes discipline to take that first step. So summon up the courage, perhaps say a prayer, and start walking. It gets easier with practice, or so I'm told. This is what I've been playing. I Love Sky is one of our favorite games. In fact, it's my wife Tracy's very favorite game. I've mentioned it on the podcast before. You get to play the part of a leader of one of several Irish clans, each vying to become more rich and prosperous than the others. This is accomplished by drawing tiles from a bag, bidding on them with the money gathered from your growing empire, and using the new tiles to build it up even more. It's the kind of game that pulls tracing me in. A small set of rules, simple mechanisms but plenty of interesting choices in every game. There aren't too many days when you can't convince us to play Isle of Sky. I've mentioned the idea of expansions as well, and a couple of years ago we bought the Journeyman expansion to Isle of Sky. Most people who love Isle of Sky really love Journeyman. Your efforts now include a wandering character who gathers this and that. He gets his own board where you can guide his efforts and chart his progress. You know what? Never mind. It doesn't matter. It's great. It's fun, and we like it fine. We've played it a total of one time since we bought it, I think. And personally, I think we'll probably never play it again. It's not because we don't like Journeyman. We like him fine. He adds depth and complexity to the game. He diversifies the scoring conditions. He adds brand new strategies that really shake the game up. Those are all good things. But they are the exact opposite of the reasons we play Isle of Sky. We have plenty of strategic games. We have plenty of games that reward involved, layered thought processes. And when we're in the mood for a game like that, we play a game like that. We play Isle of Sky because it's simple and straightforward. Adding the journeyman defeats the whole reason we liked Isle of Sky in the first place. 
Simplicity has its place. Complexity has its place. Each one needs to be valued. On my birthday, Tracy would be glad to make me chicken cordon bleu or something similarly elaborate. I'd probably just as soon have a bowl of chili. A birthday dinner is fancy time for her, and I'm glad to respect that. On the other hand, imagine if I were to poke my head in the kitchen at 4 p.m. on a Tuesday and say, you know what I could really go for tonight? Beef Wellington. She'd look at me like I had two heads. Well, good luck with that. We're having tacos at Shea Hammond's tonight. The solution is not to find middle ground, maybe a fancier approach to chili or French food in a can. The solution is to find a way to delight in both. Walking through the Bible is going to expose you to all sorts of terrain. Hard passages, easy passages, poetry, prophecy, and more. Each one is special and wonderful in its own right. Specializing in the hard stuff is no more noble or studious than specializing in the easy stuff. It all comes from God. It's all important. The writer of Hebrews appeals to obscure characters such as Melchizedek, and then brings up stories from the kindergarten class, Cain and Abel, the birth of Moses, the walls of Jericho, and how they came tumbling down. Clearly, the readers, and that includes us, were expected to be well-read in both categories. If you want to find deep, hidden meanings in the David and Goliath story, go right ahead. And if you want to boil Revelation down to a story about monsters that scare us, but ultimately are defeated by Jesus, that's great too. But don't ruin either one by pretending that they are something they are not. Let God show you what he wants to show you wherever you happen to be currently in your spiritual walk. If you can't discuss the deeper matters of the Bible, keep studying until you can. Like how 1 Peter 3, 18-22 teaches us important lessons about God's plan for salvation, the limits to his patience, the importance of baptism. But don't get so caught up in the weeds that you can't sit down with a five-year-old and talk about how a good man named Noah built an ark and saved the world. You've been listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Thank you for your support. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe through your favorite podcast platform and or on YouTube. Comments, corrections, and suggestions are always welcome. Please feel free to follow me through Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, or Instagram, or check out my webpage, www.halhammonds.com. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.